In California, presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. suffers an assassination scare. In South Carolina, a Belk department store employee's body was discovered after being deceased for seven days in a bathroom. And in Arizona, a CVS manager is killed as payback for a shoplifter. These stories and more coming at you today, Friday, September 22nd on Real Life Real Crime Daily. And I'm Jim Chapman. I'm Bayou Brandy. And I'm Mike Agavino. And Woody got pretty and he got articulate overnight. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, you're going to be in trouble. I'm not going to be in trouble. Ooh. Hey, Woody, you listening? I think I think he's probably listening. Woody's kind of pretty, too, though, you know, in his own Woody way. You think so, huh? He's kind of pretty. I'm you just know? glad I like Woody. I'm like comfortable Woody. with my sexuality. I, I like, say when another man is, is pretty. I, I like Woody in a hat. I think I think Woody in a hat makes a statement. Yeah, he's there's there's some guys that just belong in hats. Yeah. Woody, <laughs> no, I mean that just there's a look. You yeah, know, I get it. And his in a hat is cool. Well, you know what? Uh, now that you say that, I realized there was something different about him the last couple of days on TikTok, and now I've just realized it's because he didn't have a hat on. Hat. He's always in a hat. So you should be able to do some kind of analytics and give him some feedback. Hey, Woody, the audience, they're not into you without the hat. You need the, you need the hat, dude. But you know what the positive takeaway is? Nobody is suspended. Woody's just right. not here today. That's so. right. Yeah. No suspension. We don't necessarily look at that as a positive, Brandy. Woody, Woody is playing Mr. Hollywood today. He is. And uh, it's Woody Wood. It's Woody Wood. And what show is that, Mikey's? Cold he's Case Files. Cold Case Files. Oh, so. we're not supposed to say? Oh, yeah. I guess we said. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's been saying it for he has? weeks on social Oh, he was media. so secretive about where he was the other day. I can't tell you where I am. <laughs> well, he didn't want to tell the audience where he was. No, I, but... I, I think it's he didn't want the sheriff's department to know. We're going to have to cut that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, possibly, I don't know. You know, what am I? I'm the (laughs) transplant here. All right. Well, we're going to get into some crime time, as Woody would say. How about that? Sounds good. We're going to start with, uh, wow, when I saw this story, uh, scary stuff right away. Uh, Democratic presidential contender Robert F. Kennedy Jr. had a security scare Friday evening as he attended an event with a Hispanic community in Los Angeles. The politician was in California to celebrate Hispanic Heritage Month when an armed man claiming to be part of his security uh, showed up. Other members of the security detail did not recognize him, and he was heavily armed. He had protective gear, and they detained him until police arrived at the scene. The man is now likely being charged with impersonating an officer, uh, or federal agent, and possibly unlawful possession of firearms. After the incident, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. himself took to social media, uh, specifically the platform formerly known as Twitter, called X, and uh, he revealed the details of what happened and to also once again request a Secret Service security detail. I'm very grateful the alert and fast-acting protectors from Gavin DeBecker An associate spotted and detained the arrest uh, and arrested the armed individual who attempted to approach me at my Hispanic heritage speech at the Wilshire Theater in Los Angeles. The man wearing two shoulder holsters with loaded pistols and spare ammunition magazines Mm. was carrying a U.S. Marshal badge on a lanyard Mm. and 
belt clip federal ID. He identified himself as a member of my security. Armed security moved quickly to isolate and detain the man until LAPD arrived to make an arrest. I'm also grateful to LAPD for its massive response. I'm still entertaining a hope that President Biden will allow me uh, uh, Secret Service protection. I'm the first presidential candidate in history to whom the White House has denied that request. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., as y'all and all of our listeners, I'm sure know, is the nephew of John F. Kennedy and the son of Robert F. Kennedy. He was born in 1954, so he was nine years old when his uncle was assassinated in 1963, and he was 14 when his father was assassinated in 1968. And his father was assassinated in that city, in Los yeah, Angeles. Yeah, so, um, very similar. I didn't, event I didn't realize well. he had been he had made a request and had been denied yeah. the security detail. And that wasn't the first time he's been denied that. From what I understand, several times. Um, you know, when it when you're dealing with 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 a Kennedy in particular, it's probably a good idea, even if you don't have a scare. I was gonna say, if your last name is Kennedy, you should get approved. This situation is scary for anyone, but the Kennedy family history is just plagued with. Boy, it sure is. Yeah. Uh, Give this man his detail. I don't care what political party who's with. Well, if something happens to him, the blood is on, you know, the the presidential hands there that, hey, I asked you for and even Secret Service won't necessarily stop something. But if you don't have them there, you'll never know. Well, especially now, they can't, now that there's been an incident. They can't turn him down now. I mean, they, I mean that they have to give him a detail now. Funny story. I was like halfway through the hiring process with the Secret Service in 2020. I'm like five feet tall. What am I going to do? Oh, that's <laughs> actually, actually, you're a perfect do a probably lot. person because no one would suspect you of being. I'll go for their ankles Secret first. Service. Yeah. Well, Secret Bite Service, ankles, you're not, you're not generally in disguise, though. I mean, you're. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a very specific protection job around, you know, specific individuals. So what I learned uh, in the interview process is that the majority of Secret Service agents are uniformed officers. The that's actually a, a detail. Like the presidential or um any detail that you're assigned to where you were in a suit, what we think of as the Secret Service, the men in black, that's actually like a small portion. minute yeah. 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 Special detail. But the other thing is, how did this guy think this was going to work out? I did mean, you think that you were going to just slap on a badge and a lanyard and people were going to believe that you were. <laughs> he got pretty far. Did yeah. He? He, he, I mean, sounds like he got, got all the way up. to. I the can't security. wait to hear the story. I wonder if he did test runs. Was this his first try? That's a good question. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, and you know what I found? Look, if somebody wants to assassinate someone, they can do it. I mean, it, it'd be real hard to stop them. You strap a bomb to yourself and you go to an event and you just blow it up, right? Like they do in other countries. Uh, Here, we are very, you know, we're more cautious of this, I think, in a lot of ways, which is why we have the Secret Service protecting the president and ex-presidents even. Um, But with this guy right here, uh, I cannot believe he didn't already have it. Well, and that's so I'm very familiar with the Wilshire Theater and the area there. Uh, it would be it would be very costly to create a perimeter mm. around there because you've got heavy traffic coming from at least two of the four uh, 
streets that surround uh, the theater there. Yeah. And there is only a front main. There's only one way in for, mm. you know, pedestrians and I would assume for uh, for these guys. And if you're if you haven't protected a perimeter, people are coming from uh, from a lot of different uh, uh, directions in terms of street paths. So. And yeah, that, I wouldn't that, that would I wouldn't do that venue. That would be that would be I think that's a bad choice of where uh, I guess maybe he was speaking at their event. So they right. were they were they chose yeah. the, the venue. He didn't have any control of it. But, yeah, he's you know living a little dangerously. They need to give him in 68 years old. I didn't realize he was he was that age. You ever, have you seen him? On TV or anything? Doing his, no. his push ups. I love Oh my gosh. He's, to... he's a man now. Really? Ripped up, shredded. Yeah, he's, he's, he looks he's, like a Kennedy. He's like 0% I mean, he's, body fat. Yeah. <laughs> likes to take his shirt well, off. Maybe, and, uh, maybe now at, I need at, to go look at, him up. He looks like he's like 50. <laughs> I mean, he does not. It blew my mind when he said 68. I'm like, wow. Yeah. 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 He is. Um, his voice. Yeah. I should know this, but what what happened? So he had a uh, it was it was an illness. He got sick, and it attacked whatever virus it was. Attacked like his larynx, and just caused him to talk like this. So he didn't have a surgery to remove. Well, he had a surgery to try to try to improve it, it, and it did. Hmm. Actually, before the surgery, uh, he he could not hardly. I mean, he's, it's hard for him to talk now, but he could not hardly talk before that. Mm-hmm. You couldn't understand a word he said. Now you can understand it just sounds very labored, but he said there's no pain. Like you would think the way he was talking. Yeah, it sounds like. Oh, man, pain. his throat's got to be hurting. He said there's no pain at all. It's just the way it comes out. Uh, Did that happen at a young like age? He had no, no. He was, he was 40-something years old before that happened. He was a huge lawyer, uh, fought some – I mean, big billion-dollar corporations in in lawsuits and stuff like that was very successful in environmental uh, lawsuits, specifically like water. Hmm. So, drink clean drinking water. He's a big proponent of that uh, because he's had several lawsuits with these gigantic corporations that that uh, you know whatever they're doing fracking or whatever, and their their stuff's getting in the water system, and he's fought them on that. And uh, and he was a very successful lawyer in in his own right. So. Well, now I just want to see him doing push-ups without his shirt on. Yeah, does he do those? <laughs> Lots of them on TikTok. Ooh, he's yeah. a TikTok. No, I'm not sure. I'm sure. Not. I'm sure he is. Okay. I would bet you could find. I'm here can, to support his chat. shirtless push-ups. There you go. <laughs> Brandy's here for it. So this story hurt my heart. I couldn't believe this one when I read it. Y'all, a lawsuit has been filed over a cleaning worker who died in a department store bathroom and her body was not found for days. Oh, my gosh. The family of a cleaning worker whose body remained in a locked bathroom at a department store for seven days after she died has filed suit against Belks, saying her body was so decomposed that they couldn't even hold an open casket funeral. Miss Bessie Durham was a 63-year-old worker who was a contractor cleaning bathrooms at Belk in Columbia, South Carolina. She went into a family bathroom around 7 a.m. in 2022, and she died shortly after from a cardiac problem. She had clocked in for work but never clocked out, and her cleaning cart sat outside the locked door for four days until the Columbia Police Department 
called the store trying to find her because her family reported the woman missing. Yeah. So no shoppers, no empl- nobody tried to use the bathroom. No management. That. Nobody noticed that she had not clocked out. She had stayed clocked in for 48 hours straight. The suit was filed a year to the day when her body was found on September 19th of 2022. The store was open for regular hours the entire time. And here is this part that hurt me the most. She wasn't just a contracted cleaner. It's not like she had just started at that store and no one knew her. She had been employed by Belks for years when the store went to contracted janitorial services. So she Mm -hmm. had worked in that store for years. Nobody knew her there. Thought, I haven't seen her for the rest of the day. Let me check on her. She was in there for seven days. Where was her family? Right. They didn't call till day four. Her family. That's called. crazy. I know. I know. Well, that I could, you could understand that happening if they if she lived alone. That you uh, know, after uh, a daughter or a son or whatever, a sister, or brother trying her a few times, you know, and she hasn't gotten back to him, then it doesn't fit her normal pattern. Then they might say something. I could see that being days, but if you're in a department store, the idea is you're, you have customers. Aren't they using the bathroom? Right. They're, is that an employee-only bathroom? Maybe it was. It was not. It was a family bathroom. I, yeah. This is so, so weird. Yeah. Um, her family is quoted as saying, they didn't ask if she was okay. They didn't ask why her cart hadn't moved in four days. They hadn't asked why the bathrooms weren't being cleaned. That was the other thing that came to mind is nobody else is cleaning the bathrooms. But what? Yeah, she had worked there for seven years. So come to find out that the Belks was attached to a mall and they had had a shooting incident. So they started locking the bathrooms. So I think what happened is when people would go try to use the family bathroom, they saw the cart outside and it was locked and they just assumed it was Someone closed was for maintenance being or being cleaned. Yeah. And there, were, it seems like if there's a family bathroom, there's probably individual gendered bathrooms also. So it wasn't like nobody was able to use the bathroom. You just hit the nail yeah, right on sense. the head on that one. Very good. I was thinking the exact same thing. They lock those bathrooms. and But if you've ever been in a Belk, if you've ever been in a Belk, uh-huh. uh, there's only like four employees in the whole thing anyway. There's one behind the perfume. There's one that behind shoes. There's one that checks people out. Because if you <laughs> go to the one in the perfume. Big, in the big ass department If store? you're going. Oh, yeah. It's huge. They got four people. If you go to the. Pl- <laughs> if, you, if you go to the perfume and you want to check out like your shirt. They say, oh, you got to go to shirts. Like, you got to check it out with the only right. person in the store that checks out everything other than perfume. I love that Jim knows where everybody is stationed. Yeah, I used to shop at Belk's <laughs> all the time, and I would get so mad because I'm like, there's there's seven people in the entire giant department store. There's only four employees, and I'm seventh person in line. Right. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and yeah. Maybe that's why they're closing down, because I used to drive by them and be like, how are they still open? <sighs> I don't see and, and, they, and they have great deals. They, you know, they got good clothes in there, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Perfume oh. lady ain't going to check you out. I can tell you that. <laughs> so poor Yeah. Ma- and Ms. they've got uh, deceased uh, workers in their bathrooms. Yeah. For four days. That is yeah. so, is really awful and, and uh, sad that, uh, you know, it just makes me sad that nobody missed that lady. And, and you know, look, uh, my mother-in-law's uh, well up in age and my wife talks to her every day. And if she called her and she didn't answer for a day, she's going to want to know why. Yeah. And um, the employees. So the it's store. hard for me to wrap my mind around four days of family night. Maybe she didn't have that's, family though. We're assuming she fairly, may not have any. Fairly kids. common. I mean, it actually is very common. 
that doesn't that doesn't surprise my me biggest much. takeaway was she had worked in that store for seven years and no one in that store that she worked on that shift with thought to check on her yeah, i think you're right about that and i think you're right about why it didn't get picked up sooner because it was the family bathroom not uh not one of the main ones i'm forcing brandy to look at rfk jr doing his push-ups I don't know how many he did right there. He's a Kennedy. That was him at the the end of it. I want to take him on. Come on. I can do more push-ups. His face looks 68. His body does not look 68. That is pretty – that is very impressive. RFK is going to get like a big jump in his TikTok today because all our listeners (laughs) – But I am just going to say this. That would be no reps. If he was doing a PT test, those would be counted as no reps. He doesn't even – Oh, you don't think those are uh, official regulation – but he does. He does look good for his. He does look very good, and you know what? He probably can do more than I can, so I should shut up. Yeah, I'm going to shut up. Too. So, if Robert K. G., Robert F. Kennedy Jr., if you're out there and you want to come on the show, and we'll do a push-up challenge with. Uh, no, I've, I've got Bayou enough Brady. challenges going on. Oh, Brady. Brady. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we know he'd out push up you, Mike. I'm down. That's okay. my thing. We'll when work I work on that one, when I drink, I do push-up challenges. Do you? When you, you drink, you can do more push-ups. When you're drinking, yeah, I'm usually the other way around. No, I mean I don't do I don't do them sober. But when I'm when I'm drunk, <laughs> when I'm drunk, okay. I decide that I can do them, and I can. Okay, I want you to to try and max out sober versus max out drinking, and tell Got us. It. I'll collect the data you for do, you. Uh, you do better. That that could be uh, that could be some some decent video there. Let the uh, let your fans. Uh, vote on on bet on which you're you're going to do more with. I assume you paid pretty close attention to the Madison Brooks case. Have you been following that case from the beginning? I haven't. Oh, you haven't. Okay. Who's Madison Brooks? Madison Brooks was the LSU sophomore who ended up uh, getting hit and killed by a lift in the early morning hours after she was dropped off by a group of uh, four, uh, three, one underage kid and three others. Uh, It's a, well, you know what, if you, if you're not familiar with the case, you're going to get familiar with the case uh, uh, now, but it's probably the biggest case in the area. How have I never heard of this? I'm going to get my, my Louisiana card revoked right now. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. Well, I got I to stop. I only watch TikTok. I have to start watching the actual news. Well, the case has kind of been out of the news for a little bit because there was, I mean, it dominated. Or at least real life work crime daily. It, yes. It, it dominated the Busted. news for a month, a month and a half or so. All right. Teach and me then, all about her. I want to hear Madison's story. And then things story. have been quiet for a period because we're waiting for court dates and, and things like that to uh uh, to happen, but it's back in the news right now because Madison Brooks' dad has filed a lawsuit, basically spraying the entire infield of anyone who has been uh, was remotely involved in her death, suing uh, suing all of them. So by talking about the lawsuit, the 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 story you know comes out uh, through it. So uh, so Maddie's father is suing virtually everyone involved in his daughter's death, including. The Baton Rouge bar, Reggie's, who served the underage uh, co-ed. The suspects, which there are four that were involved, one who is a minor and whose name we still don't know. But Kayvon Washington, uh, who has been charged with 
third degree rape in the case. Uh, case in Carver, who also has been charged with third degree rape in the case. Everett Lee, who was the driver of the car, uh, who was not charged with third degree rape, but uh, some kind of involvement in a third degree rape. I don't know exactly what they call it, but her tragic death uh, has taken a, this is his attorney talking has taken a devastating emotional toll on her father. And that devastation continues each and every day. That's David Corselli, who is John Brooks uh, attorney. It's now time to hold Reggie's bar, its employees and others responsible for their irresponsible actions and neglect of Louisiana's drinking laws that led to Madison's death. Reggie's was notorious for serving underage individuals alcohol. I mean, yes, uh, I think Jim and many others in the area can yeah, attest was, that. Yeah, they didn't court. And, and this <laughs> Even is going back in my day. And this is going on around every or most major college yep. campuses around the country where the fraternity houses are now dry, the sororities are dry, the dorms are dry, and uh, the kids obviously all still want to drink. And so there are bars that have, you know, uh, propped up in the immediate areas around the universities and, you know, taking some liberties. Yeah. And We all knew the places. We all knew where we could go and get away with it and where we could go and they wouldn't. Exactly. Yeah. So this grouping of bars, Tigerland and, and Reggie's as one of them, as they uh, say here in the article, were you know, pretty much notorious for serving underage individuals. Uh, John Brooks is Madison's biological dad. He's not still with her mother. So we haven't heard a lot from him over the course of these months. But he's uh, and, and they're saying in this article that he's been relatively quiet quiet since his 19-year-old daughter, an LSU sophomore, was allegedly raped in January after a night of drinking at Reggie's bar and later died after her alleged attackers let her out on a highway where she was hit by a Lyft driver. Now, I think the story that uh, that was the generally accepted story was that she was not let out on Burbank uh, drive. She was let out in a neighborhood. No, she was let out in the neighborhood. Yeah, she was let out in it. Well, this yeah. this story makes it sound like she was let out. Yeah, on, no, on she Burbank. walked to. She walked back Burbank. to to Burbank. Right. That is um, awful. But uh, so he he came out swinging in a recently filed civil uh, wrongful death suit. The legal action names nearly a dozen employees from Reggie's, which has been shut down by the state uh, pretty much since the uh, the incident. The Four alleged rapists, well, really two rapists, alleged rapists, and two uh, people tangentially uh, related. Uh, Lyft, the Lyft driver, um, Lyft, the corporation, and uh, uh, as well as insurance companies that represent Lyft and uh, and, and other uh, individuals hmm. and Reggie's. So the legal action accuses Reggie's employees of overserving his underage daughter. Starting at about 10, 12 p.m. on January 14th, Madison was allegedly served 24 alcoholic beverages oh over a three-hour span. Wow. Yeah. 24? 24, that's what they're alleging, despite being visibly intoxicated. This is all coming directly out of the lawsuit. The lawsuit documents each drink and alleges that she fell at least four times. 
in oh. the bar over that period of time. We know from the original story that one of those falls, which I think is the the last one from uh, the way the lawsuit phrases things, she was helped up from the ground by Kayvon Washington, and that sort of uh, began the uh, the unfortunate path that the the end of the evening took. But uh, so. Madison is sitting near or at the front doors when she falls off a stool. She remained on the ground for about 30 seconds. And while she was on the ground, multiple employees moved right past her, according to the lawsuit. Mm. And uh, and that was the fourth fall. And that's when Kayvon Washington allegedly helped her to her feet. Her four alleged attackers have since been indicted on varying degrees of rape charges. All the suspects pleaded not guilty in criminal court. Two of the suspects allegedly raped Madison and led her out on uh, Burbank Drive, which is a main four-lane highway in Baton Rouge. Again, both Jim and I agree that it was well understood by uh, uh, coverage and uh, and interviews given that she was led out at a friend's house in a specific neighborhood off of Burbank Drive, not directly on Burbank Drive. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't. I don't think it was a friend's house. I don't know, remember hearing anything. I think she yeah. was just let out at a house that she thought was where her friends lived. Was well, she at- yeah, she wanted to be dropped off at a sorority sister's house, and she gave them the address. Said this is where it was. Maybe it wasn't. It, right, right. Uh, That's but, what ended up happening. It was she ended up in like a residential subdivision. Uh, was she at the bar with girlfriends that night? No, she was alone. Well, I have got yeah, to dive into this she? one. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she was. She was, but she had worked at Reggie's, so she knew a lot of people at Reggie's. So bartenders, others at Reggie's were friends of hers. Friends of hers that left her on the ground. This is the story, though. Yeah. Mm. Um, the lawsuit names nearly a dozen Reggie's employees who allegedly overserved the LSU sophomore and did not intervene. Uh, they specifically named Darren Adams and John Landry. Those are the owners. Four bartenders, they don't specifically name the bartenders, and four bar managers, they do specifically name the bar managers. I don't think it's necessary for us to do that. Uh, Reggie's has, again, been closed since then. Uh, the story is uh, is going to continue to be in the news now as we begin to approach these court appearances and the trials of the accused, which, of course, now includes charges here in Livingston Parish because one of the suspects, Kayvon Washington, and Woody was very involved in uh, in this. A woman came forward after this happened the, with Madison Brooks, uh, claiming that she had filed a report with Livingston Parish Police, I think City of Walker, right? Walker uh, Police, mm-hmm. a couple of years earlier, and that the police weren't necessarily diligent in their investigation and never charged him. Well, subsequently they went back, investigated again, interviewed a witness and decided to charge him. So he was brought up on charges in Livingston parish after this whole thing happened with Madison Brooks Mm. in East Baton Rouge parish. I'm starting to learn, uh, Louisiana parishes. So, uh, I think it's it's interesting, a, b- a bunch of levels here. One, this is her father, not the family as a whole. What's that got to do with it? Well, the father hasn't been involved. 
you would think it would be the family as a whole that would be coming out to uh, to file lawsuits, not – What do you mean the step- father hasn't been involved? This is her biological father. Right. He hasn't been a huge part of this this thing throughout. Uh, okay. I, I'm staying out of this one. Really? Yeah, I mean, they specifically say that in this article. I don't remember hearing <clears> – <throat> it was the mother – uh, continuously, in my recollection, maybe people will uh, will tell me I'm wrong. I mean, about that, well, but. and I'm I, honestly shocked. I didn't because I I haven't heard a whole lot out of the family in general. I mean, I know the mother the because she's you know the mother uh, that is who who they kind of gravitate towards. But I, I wouldn't go as far as to say he hasn't been involved. I'm, I mean, I'm not saying at all. It just doesn't seem like he's been very involved but the bigger thing in in my mind and and uh brandy you may have a a very different uh point of view on this from your experience but generally it's a family that's filing i think that's under the pretense that you're assuming it's a cohesive family unit i mean if they're divorced we don't know the family dynamic we don't know how much mom allowed him to be involved or how Maybe they just co-parented well but weren't on a personal level. So maybe they're taking their own legal action avenues. Maybe mom's got her thing going. Dad's got his thing going. But I'm sure I, – I, it doesn't speak to me as being odd that the family is not united in their legal front. Well, that that may all be – you may be right about all of that. I, it just strikes me as, as strange because he – Again, hasn't been at the. When you hear how much she was served, you go, "Oh my God!" This she had to be on the. She needed to go to the hospital. She had to be on the verge of of being very very sick. But there's a video that shows her coming out of the bar and running toward these four individuals in their car in the parking lot. Where when you look at how she gets from the bar to the car, she does not appear to be. You know, four times the legal limit uh, uh, on blood alcohol level. She gets there pretty stable, and then there's video of her, you know, basically calling the driver out because he won't have sex with her. Right, all of that is captured on video, and the third degree rape is the uh, is where she can't give consent, so her consent Correct. does not count as consent because of how impaired she was because of her blood alcohol level. But 24 drinks. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. But uh, she fell down four times. Everybody knew she was shit faced. Yeah, I I get it. But I'm just saying, when you look at the video, the multiple uh, videos and having been a, a guy of, of that age, I, I don't think this is a, so what I've heard about the Livingston case, I think, is much more a slam dunk than than this case is because I think it's going to be possible that jurors are gonna uh, are gonna be sympathetic. I would not have known about the existence of that law. Well, to caveat what you just said about you having been a gentleman of that age, I've also been a female of that age, and I have been. I have made decisions that have put me in situations that I'm glad did not end like Madison's. My heart breaks for her family. Period. For sure. Especially when this goes to trial. Defense is going to 
poke holes yes. and yes. character assassinate. And her parents have to live through that. And that's heartbreaking. 100% agreed. Mm. And she was a beautiful girl. Not that it matters, but I'm looking at her photo right now. And what a beautiful young lady. A man arrested after a weekend police chase and motorcycle crash in Georgia turned out to be a fugitive accused of avoiding a child rape charge by faking his own drowning death last month in the Mississippi River kayaking accident. Melvin Ametti, 41 of Georgia, had been missing uh, and reported so by his son on August 7th in St. Charles Parish. Authorities were told at the time that Ametti had fallen from a kayak while fishing and drowned. The sheriffs reported at the time that the search spanned two days and used divers, sonar, and other forms of location such as drones. No bodies were found. Meanwhile, investigators learned. The world has become a smaller place, and people are traveling more freely between countries than ever before. And companies are doing more business outside of their home countries than ever before. The geniuses at Rosetta Stone saw this trend beginning to develop years ago and have dedicated decades toward researching and refining the best and most efficient way to teach someone a new language. Rosetta Stone has been one of our most loyal sponsors here at Real Life, Real Crime, and The Daily Show. And that's because many of you out there have trusted Rosetta Stone to prepare you for everything from a family reunion to a once-in-a-lifetime trip to a business trip in a faraway country. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program in the galaxy. Rosetta Stone's been there for us with a great product at a great price. Rosetta Stone is a trusted expert in language learning for 30 years with millions of users. Rosetta Stone's intuitive process helps you pick up a new language naturally so you retain what you learn, and their true accent speech recognition feature is like having a personal trainer. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and The Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today. Today, learned that Ametti was facing charges of indecent liberties with a child and statutory rape of a child in North Carolina. We immediately became suspicious that this may have been a faked accidental drowning and death in order for Mr. Ametti to escape charges in North Carolina. This from a sheriff. However, we could not publicly expose our suspicions for fear of tipping him off. Detectives learned that Ametti had, had bought two prepaid cell phones in Boutte, Louisiana, before the reported drowning. Detectives work with authorities in North Carolina and the United States Marshal Service to track down the phones, but Ameti only used the phone. Uh, when Ameti used the phone, he only kept it on briefly. The break in the case came Sunday in Georgia after a highway patrol officer attempted to stop a motorcycle for not having a license plate. The driver crashed and tried to run away, but was captured. The driver gave a false name, but was identified as Ameti through his fingerprints. Ameti's son has not been charged. However, the investigation is ongoing. So, wow. Uh, the son should yeah. be charged. Yeah, because he had, you know. Yeah, and that's good police work to track very down good. The, the two burner phones. And then the karma 
irony that you go through all of that and you almost make it out and you don't put a license plate on the motorcycle. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And that was their probable cause. It's a brave way to fake a death too, because it could easily end in death. Right. Man. Well, good. You know what? I hope that son gets charged. He definitely had something to do with it. Well, I think they're just struggling. You know, sometimes that may be hard to prove and, you know, until you can get evidence. You got to yeah, have that's evidence. True. That's true. I should you, reserve judgment. Doesn't matter right. what you know happened. It's it only matters you what you can prove. prove. Absolutely. Tom Cruise said that, by the way. All right. This story is coming to us out of Pennsylvania. I feel like we've had a lot of escaped inmates lately. And yeah. a lot of escaped inmates in Pennsylvania yeah. lately. What's going on up there? So this story is about 19 boys who escaped from a detention center in Pennsylvania, but they only made it a few miles. Their cardio wasn't so good, I don't nah. think. Nine teenagers escaped from a detention center in Pennsylvania after overpowering staff and crawling under a fence. They were captured 12 hours later. It was probably planned, but poorly planned, said the state police trooper. <laughs> the first four were taken into custody after they went to a home and knocked on the door. It's not funny, but it's funny. They turned themselves in because they were cold and tired. <laughs> they just gave up. They after said, a few miles. They said, you know what? Maybe freezing these, out of here. Yeah, maybe these three hots in a cot aren't so bad. Take me back. Police caught up with the other five after a pickup truck and a trailer were reported stolen. After a brief car chase, the police found four of them in the vehicle. The last teen had fled on foot, but he was caught a short time later. State and local police were called late Sunday to take control of the juvenile center in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Like, I want to hear that 911 call. How does that go? We need help. (laughs) We've been overtaken by the kids. The escape happened after the boys, who were all between the ages of 15 and 17, wrestled the keys away from two staff members. They got out of the building, went to the recreation yard, found a spot to crawl under a fence. They were all captured within five miles from the detention center. So you were gone 12 hours. I am a very slow runner. I can run farther than five miles yeah. in 12, in 12 hours. hours. Like you can you, walk you didn't, a lot further than five miles. Yeah, you didn't hours. really want to escape. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure you could hopscotch <laughs> quicker. Yeah, I, than that. I don't know who the genius behind the jailbreak was there, but yeah, a Cavalcante, he's not. Just right. put it that way. Yes, and this does follow the two high-profile murder escapees, including Cavalcante in Pennsylvania. Um, the their charges were they ranged from firearms possession, robbery, auto theft, and other miscellaneous charges. And now they are also going to catch additional charges. So the bigger the question here is, is what is the problem with Pennsylvania? Man, if I Seriously. lived in Pennsylvania, the the guy in charge of the Bureau of Prisons over there, I'm, I'm like, dude, you're about to get, lose your job because right. you cannot keep people in jail. Of course, he's at the top, and, and you've got, but you're the leader. Yeah, and it's not isolated. It rolls one, downhill. Right. It's not just one facility. That's the concerning part. Yeah. And also, if I live in Pennsylvania, I'm up in my home security. Yeah. There ain't no doubt about it. Ring cameras everywhere. It just absolutely insane that, and this is the third one in two months that is high profile. You know, of course, these kids weren't murderers, but there were nine of them. How do you lose track of nine of them? Yep. There's a lot of stuff goes down in Pennsylvania. <laughs> you know, I mean, Lord. Just so much more than you ever would have imagined. But uh, this is a really sad story. So we're going to go to Arizona. Michael Jacobs. Uh, was a CVS store manager in Arizona. He came home from work at 10.50 p.m. every night like clockwork, and uh, except on Thursday, September 7th. 
So Stacy, who's Michael's wife, they've been together for 23 years, and their kids didn't know what happened. But she said they had a bad feeling when it was past midnight and he wasn't home. So, again, this guy's home at 1050 every single night like clockwork, and it's midnight and you haven't heard from him. It's not good. It was it was 12 o'clock that night, and my son was saying, where's dad at, Stacy said. I thought maybe the store stayed open later, uh, but he would have told me if something like that was going on. He would have messaged. He would have done something to alert me. When I called him, he didn't answer. I called him repeatedly, and he didn't answer. So Stacy decided that she would just drive down to uh, the store after. First, she made some calls to local hospitals and uh, – and he wasn't in any of the local hospitals. So uh, she got in the car with the kids. And while they were in the car, she asked one of the kids to Google his store. And that's when they found out that there was a shooting at the store. Mm. They beelined it to the CVS. On the way, police actually called Stacy, uh, called Stacy's line looking for her. And the first thing that came to her mind was that you know, he's with the police and they're just taking care of the store and that's why he's so busy and that's why he's not home or he hasn't, uh, he hasn't called. But at, uh, at this point, she arrives outside the CVS as uh, they're calling her and the scene is crazy. You know, it's all taped off and she can see her husband's car is still in the parking lot. And so uh, she said, I still don't think anything bad, but, uh, but the police officer uh, comes over after I tell him. Uh, so he gets her on the phone. She says, I'm here in the parking lot. And he walks over and uh, and he says, there's been a tragedy at the store and Mike has been shot. She said it was really brief that they wanted to make sure that I understood that he was gone, you know, that he was deceased, that he got shot and he's dead. Police said they had a suspect in custody who, quote, didn't have any type of remorse or something like that, she said. I just can't believe that Mike got taken down like that because he runs the store like a star and nothing ever happened, she said. Mike was 49. He'd been there so long. Uh, she said she'd asked him many times whether he wanted to keep working at the store or, uh, or move on, and he always said, you know, I love this store. He's not replaceable. I'll not be able to understand this tragedy, and it's going to be impossible for my kids to understand this strategy, uh, this tragedy. His son Gabriel wrote about his dad. He said he would make me smile whenever I felt sad. He was a perfect person. He made me realize what I want to do in life. He would always remind me of the importance of taking on hard tasks and being a strong person to support the ones you love. So. Here's the, the picture of, of Mike. He was a tough guy. He ran that store tough. He didn't tolerate the folks who came in to do some shoplifting that, especially, you know, the ones he didn't consider dangerous. And so four hours earlier, uh, four hours before Mike was killed, the suspected gunman, a guy by the name of Jared Sebi, who's 38 years old, was caught shoplifting by Michael. So he caught him. He took the goods back and uh, and he called uh, he called police, uh, but uh, CVS declined to prosecute him. And so he was let go. Well, Sevy then allegedly went directly home, grabbed his gun, returned to the store. When he got to back to CVS, he specifically told other employees and customers 
to get out of the store. So he cleared the store out so he could take out Mike. Mm. Um, so in effect, it was a revenge hit by this guy because he had been caught shoplifting by Mike. Um, he made spontaneous statements to the officers, this guy, Jared uh, Sevy, telling them, quote, I did it. I'm guilty. I planned this. And I bet he ain't talking shit no more. Now, is he? Prosecutors said during Sevy's first court appearance last week. And so here is a lovely picture of Sevy. And this guy actually had the, the balls to ask cops for a beer and said, I'm going away for like 20 years. So how about letting me have a beer? Um, He's watched too many movies. That he did it because he was tired of pip- people picking on him. And this was the only way that he can show people that that's not okay. Picking on you for stopping you from shoplifting. I mean, just mm. That's ridiculous. Crazy. I've always said, look, if I work for a company, they have liability insurance. I don't own that store. Period. Sorry. In the company, I'll tell you that. 100%. Mike doesn't agree with that. but Well, we, we've talked but, about it a lot. Yeah. And there, there are all kinds of different circumstances that unfold. And I guess this guy took pride in this was his store. And that is to be respected. That's all right. And, no, yeah, and I get and that. This was uh, his persona. And I guess he had done this. For a long time, and there were never repercussions mm-hmm. from it. Yeah. And, and, Nobody then, can predict that this is going to happen. one night, it's the wrong guy. Right. You, and, you never know who you're dealing with. It's like what he says. Yeah. You know, you just never know. All it takes is that one uh, person. So we're going to move on. And look, one thing that is for sure happening right now is sheriffs all over the country, all over the country, are uh, sheriff departments are now getting these apps, these high performance apps. One of the great, uh, you know, people complain about technology a lot of times, but one of the the great things about technology is it can be used for good sometimes. Yep. And uh, I was happy to see that in Livingston Parish, Louisiana, where I live, Sheriff Jason Ord actually just launched our app for this this area of the country. And so I went through it and I found some really interesting things. And I started doing research on online about how many sheriff's department have this. And of course that number is increasing every day, but it's really something that is just now kind of coming to the forefront everywhere, except the larger cities. And even some of the larger cities don't have these apps yet. Uh, but I live under a rock. I've never heard of this. What it's just a one-stop shop. You can get what you can make reports. You can see analytics. Uh, all kinds of things to go over what this particular app uh, can do. And this is what I'm referencing here is the Livingston Parish uh, uh, Sheriff's Office application. Thank you. I love that. Um, you can do everything from check tax information, because I, at least here, the sheriff's department is who taxes. You know, they you, they do your property taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look for sex offenders. Let me Love tell that. you, don't hit that button because what's going to happen is a map's going to pop up and little dots are going to go everywhere where they live in your area. And it's a lot more than what you would think. And you can't unsee that. Now you're you can't know. unsee that, but they're living amongst you, but uh, right there at your fingertips. So if you're thinking of buying a home, that'd be a great app sure. to, to have to look for that. Uh, you can submit tips right through the app and it's real easy you click submit a tip you go in there and and uh you can just type and send uh who's in jail the most popular i actually talked to the sheriff's office before i did this story and they told me the most uh by far the most clicked 
link is who's in jail. Yep, I'm nosy. <laughs> You I want to see. Yeah, that's it. So you type a name. It could be anybody's name. And if they're in the Livingston Parish Jail, it's going to tell you. It's going to tell you what they're in there for. It's going to have a nice, pretty mug shot and, uh, and all of that sort of thing. They have a uh, uh, join our team section where you can actually gain employment. You know, oh. you can do an application. Uh, and they even have Sheriff Jason Orr has a Christmas crusade where they, they uh, get toys for all the children in the area that are underprivileged and give them out. The police actually go door to door and hand these out. Um, The application to submit to be part of that Christmas crusade is also on this app. But the best thing about it is, and this is with all of the apps nationwide that I've seen, you get alerts every time something happens. 911 dispatch actually has a button that they hit that will dispatch it to the app as things are happening in real time. So if there is a wreck somewhere or uh, they are working, we had a bad wildfire here just a couple of days ago, really bad. I almost got to a neighborhood and uh, there was four or five alerts that I had got, you know, fire contained, fire out of control, whatever it was. Uh, so, you know, one of the, one of the examples and why I wanted to include it today was we do talk a lot about like AI being used for bad things. Right. Uh, and it is in a lot of cases, but there are some g- good technology sources uh, now, especially in the way of apps for police departments. And I know Mike, that you've lived in some pretty big cities and, and in those cities, is this something they've had for a while or is it, is it not that I know of? So if LAPD had it, uh, I wasn't aware of it. Can yeah. you, can you, Call nine one one through the app. Uh, I, you know, let's check. Let's check real time um, because I didn't. I didn't see. Uh, I didn't. Uh, maybe you can, Mike. So, so let's see why y'all are brought, talking. While you're looking at that, it's funny that you brought that up. So I was a nine one one dispatcher, and right at the end of when I quit dispatching, they were just starting to roll out being able to text nine one one. And at that time, I was like, I'm glad I got out when I did because uh, that could be a nightmare. I don't location finding and stuff like that. But you know what? I bet. I bet that by the dispatch pushing out notifications, it actually saves resources because now people are not flooding the non-emergency number asking for updates on is the fire contained because they're pushing it out. That's genius. Yeah, it really is. Or or they can simply refer them and not have to spend any time um, doing that. I I was thinking, can they they contact them, whether it's SMS or it's uh, it's actually a call, and can they they monitor – uh, you know, a lot of people spend their nights with a police scanner listening to uh, calls coming in. Are there is there that kind of capability? In no, there? there's not. They don't have the scanner, unfortunately, because I would be. <laughs> I dated a girl who had a grandmother. I used, I used to, to have one. And I just li- yeah. All she did was listen to there, the. There's I have no an app on my phone for that. There's no scanner, but there is. Uh, to answer your question, Mike, you can call. They have the. Uh, they have a button where you can call the the sheriff's office directly without calling nine one one. Look, and that's a lot of times people want to call the sheriff's office, but it's not an emergency. Yeah, and they'll start it with. So this it's is nice not an to have that. But. Yeah, the, you can. Uh, su- like I said, submit a tip. Uh, you can even call Crime Stoppers on the through this app. Uh, but the who's in jail the is kind of the most. The I most clicked that. on, and you and you basically click it, y'all, and it pulls up just names, and you you have a search option, but you can click on the name, and it gives you their information, uh, and what they were booked for, uh, their booking date, all that sort of thing, and some of them even have even have uh, that's great mugshots. I, 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 I would imagine there are 
some app developers that are pitching departments all over the country. That oh, absolutely. These. I, absolutely. I doubt they did it uh, from the ground up them, themselves, but I, that could be a tremendous my resource. My retirement really goal, when I retire, I'm going to start my day every day with reading the obituaries and looking up everyone that's in jail in my city. While I have my morning coffee, love it. I would be one of those clicking on the. Oh I'm yeah, gonna, I'm going to download that app. A lot of excitement in, in that uh, in that retired life. Yep. For for. Uh, well, shout out to the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office and Jason Ord for uh, Sheriff Jason Ord for you know moving to the forefront Keeping of technology, baby. That is progressive. Very good. So this next one comes from our neighbors right here in Tangibahoa Parish. I love this story. It's not a joking matter. But it is hilarious because no harm, no foul. Everything ended up being okay. But y'all, a man got arrested after taking an ambulance home because he was too impatient to wait for a ride home from the hospital. A 28 year old man from Ponchatoula was arrested for being in possession of a stolen ambulance in Tangipahoa Parish. Mr. Jeffrey Armstrong of Ponchatoula just got real tired of waiting at the hospital. Sheriff Daniel Edwards said that just before 11 a.m. on Tuesday, September 19th, deputies were alerted that a stolen Acadian ambulance had was being tracked by GPS on Interstate 55 between Laplace and Manchac. According to Acadian, the emergency vehicle was taken from a hospital in Jefferson Parish and was seen headed towards Tangipahoa. Deputies and other law enforcement agencies began to stage on the interstate at numerous exits awaiting the ambulance's arrival. While sitting stationary at milepost 20, just south of Ponchatoula, a deputy saw the ambulance pass by and pulled over the driver. He complied. The driver, who was later identified as Armstrong, complied, pulled the ambulance over to the shoulder of the interstate. Without incident, he was taken into custody. He was booked into the Tangipahoa Parish Jail on one count of felony possession of stolen property. The ambulance was returned to Acadian in good condition. And now they, of course, are launching an investigation into how he acquired the vehicle. <laughs> Yep. Probably had the keys in it. Right. They're always running. I know. Uh, yeah, but, but you know that what? is crazy. It is. But, you know, I don't know if you guys have been to the emergency room lately. I don't know if he was admitted or if he was in the emergency room, but the wait times are just getting oh, ridiculous. Crazy. Yeah, I almost, I almost can understand where yeah. he's coming he from. He probably just had, like, hit his threshold. He'd been there all night. I mean, Look, poor decision. I but, yeah, he didn't destroy the ambulance. He stopped when he was pulled over. I mean, law-abiding yeah. citizen right no, here. No, but I mean, if, <laughs> if there had been an emergency and that ambulance was not available to respond to the emergency, I mean, of course. That's, it's not a good thing, obviously. Of course. But, uh, and a, but an Uber would have... But you could kind of relate a little bit to what he was feeling. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> what funny. What he was and, feeling. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's funny now that it ended up all, all well and good. Well, credit yeah. to Kieran of Unfiltered with Kieran for this story. Yeah, thank you so much, I'm Kieran. I'm have to give her Chalo. a listen. Brandy, I often joke, I don't know if you've heard any of the episodes that include this, but I often joke about the lack of class Philadelphia sports fans in general show and specifically Philadelphia Eagles fans. I grew up in New York. I'm a hardcore New York sports fans. Philadelphia teams are our rivals. Who's your team? Giants are my football team. Mets are my baseball team. Tiki Barber. Knicks are my basketball team. Tiki Barber. Uh, Tiki's, uh, Tiki's Tiki. back. And Tiki's on the, Another great name. <laughs> Tiki was on the Housewives of New Jersey last was year. Was he I really? That. Now yes. I have to watch it. I love him. Uh, he's not on anymore. I think he did a year, and he said, uh, you know, it was his wife uh, that was primarily on it, but I think he had enough. I digress. But, Carry on. But anyway, um, uh, but if I'm being honest, I mean, the war in the stands, this rude behavior in stands, uh, fights getting started, et cetera, extends well beyond the city of brotherly love and and this past oh, weekend no 
it ended in tragedy up in New England for one Patriots fan. I don't know mm, if you guys mm, saw mm, the story, but no. a 53-year-old Patriots fan by the name of Dale Mooney, who was from Newmarket, New Hampshire, died on Sunday mm. after he was punched multiple times by a Dolphins fan. So the Patriots were playing the the Dolphins for the better part of two decades. The Patriots have have dominated uh, the NFL and dominated the, the Dolphins, and now the Dolphins have a better team. And uh, Dolphin fans were being aggressive in the stadium, and I guess this group of Patriot fans got aggressive and – you know, I'm sure the beer was flowing and one thing led to another. So uh, the Norfolk County District Attorney's Office says Mooney died during, quote, an incident at the NFL game at Gillette Stadium. A witness in the stadium reported that two groups of fans, one supporting the Dolphins and the other supporting the hometown Patriots, bickered back and forth throughout the game. Alcohol played a role in the raising tensions that ultimately led to a physical fight. Mooney, who was a Patriots fan and season ticket holder for 30 years, oh man, was seen approaching a group of fans in the 300 level of the stadium just before the game ended. According to Joseph Kilmartin, who was is a Patriots fan and was at the game and uh, and did many interviews, uh, I watched this particular interview. Uh, Kilmartin told uh, Mass Live the fight took place between. A Dolphins fan and Mooney, the Dolphin fan walked over and clearly punched Mooney twice in the face. He got knocked out and you could tell right away that he was not OK, this Kilmartin said. Mooney never regained consciousness after being oh. uh, struck. The EMTs performed CPR on him around 10.57 p.m. He was pronounced dead at the Sturdy Memorial Hosp- Hospital in Attleboro just before midnight. Quote, I want to know what happened, what caused this. Mooney's wife, Lisa, told WCBB-TV, I just don't understand why people have to go to that extreme. Why can't it just be fun? That's what it's supposed to be, a fun family event. Uh, the TV station says no charges have been filed as of Monday, but Kilmartin told the outlet he witnessed police take one person into custody. I believe file uh, charges have been filed. I believe this is going to be a murder case. And... I mean, I think given the circumstances, it is a murder case. No, I would I'm, agree. I'm not well versed on what has to occur for it to rise to the level of murder. I, I don't know. Was his intent to murder him when he punched him? I'm sure. Would, it, I'm sure it wasn't. Yeah, you're I'll be a, interested to see fight. How, how this one plays out. What charges could it end up as manslaughter? Very easily, I guess it right. could, but. Uh, but, you know, I it's, think that's going to be a murder charge. I don't think the intent was there, but I think you knew what could happen if you punch somebody continually. Yeah. And I think that's how a lawyer would argue that. If manslaughter is like if you get in a car accident and someone gets right. killed and, and and it was everything was a total accident. If you if if I go up to you and just start beating the shit out of you till you die, I murdered you. Yeah, I really have no idea what I'm talking about. I don't know how the statute reads, but I know it has to meet certain criteria out. This is one I'll definitely follow. Interestingly enough, I don't tell a lot of people this down here because, you know, the saints are life. But I love the Patriots. My goal was to get married at Gillette Stadium. I love Bill Belichick. I know he's a very hated man, but I love him. And my husband is a Dolphins fan. We go to this game every year around Christmas. They usually play around Christmas. Um, This one hits my heart. 53 years old and 30, you've been 30 year season 30 ticket year holder. season ticket holder. Mike, and well, 
we've got a Patriots fan in this room right now. That's, see, as a as a Giants fan, that doesn't hurt me because I it can just say me. Eli beat Brady twice. <laughs> yes, yeah. he did. And, uh, and so I take and one one of those times was when they were undefeated. Undefeated. So, but um, I think it's also this kind of thing is a sign of the culture. I mean. We have all these instances of people acting in ways that you never would have seen people act a decade ago, two decades ago. I mean, people always get drunk at games and get stupid and stuff like that. But to the to the point where it becomes, you know, this violent. Well, right before the Raiders left California, this happened in the yeah. parking lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it look, happened it happened. Yeah. It happened at 10 stadiums this past Sunday. I mean, the Saints had a big brawl at the Saints game uh, where they jumped jumped on top of the the team they played and I'm drawing a tet of blank right now whoever they, they played uh, Carolina okay yeah. so they they had a fight uh they had a fight at that game so it, it happens and and the problem is taking it too far where this happens yeah yeah like I, I seriously I'm going to the I'm going to Dallas for the Giants Cowboys game in November I'm not gonna wear a giant jersey yeah and I'm not gonna have the and we always do we do that but you know what it's not it, but it, also, it's how, not worth it to do that kind. Of, I mean, because you never know these days how crazy somebody might yeah. be. How many times have people gotten into barroom brawls and they've taken more than two punches and they don't die though? I mean, two punches—that's sure. uh, powerful. Yeah, and and for uh, all we know, been in my share. Uh, you know, that. he's he's what was he fifty three years old? It could he could have had some kind of pre uh, existing condition that yeah. but you you don't know. Mm. Uh, until you know, and there's an autopsy and everything else, but it's just violence at sporting events. I mean, come on. All right, so we've got another Super Cop segment Super Cop. coming at you, and we're going to tell you about an Atlanta police officer and a fire captain. So we've got two of them today uh, being credited for saving a man from a flooded car last week. Mm. In the midst of a torrential downpour and flat flash flooding in that inundated downtown Atlanta on September 14th, two local heroes emerged to rescue the trapped driver. Atlanta police officer Renando Bryan and Atlanta Fire Rescue Captain Terrence Simon are being held as courageous saviors for their swift and selfless actions. Officer Brian was on duty when he came across a street completely submerged under rising flood water. He noticed a partially submerged vehicle with Captain Simon attempting to rescue the trapped driver. We have been out here for a few minutes and you have water that's well over four and a half feet, so you have to act quickly, Captain Simon said. The floodwaters have reached such dangerous levels that the vehicle was perilously lifted from the ground, rendering its doors immovable. Without hesitation, Officer Brian waded into the treacherous waters to assist in the rescue. Using his baton, he shattered the driver's side window, created an escape route for the stranded motorist, and together the police officer and fire, fire captain managed to extra, extradite the driver from the situation. I told them, thank you for everything. You saved my day, that from the rescued driver. The powerful storm unleashed more than two inches of precipitation within the span of an hour, overwhelming downtown Atlanta, the Atlanta University Center, and surrounding areas. Uh, so, Atlanta Police Officer Raynando Bryan and Atlanta Fire Rescue Department Captain Terrence Simon are our super cops for today. Way Shout to go, out to those yep. guys. Great Kudos. job. Kudos. And we love to feature you. 
Yeehaw! Yes, indeedy. Some fiddles and some banjo. But it's Friday, so we're going to shake it up a little bit with some poetic justice. This week, I'm going to do an ode to some people that are- Woody's not here to sanction it. Some people and topics (laughs) that are in the news. So let's start with an ode to Dion. Each day of his life's been etched out in neon. When he played, he was special and hard to beat. But what he's done as a coach is a more incredible feat. Leading the way with faith, hard work, and tough love, he's helped many connect with the man above. What I love most is how he brings people together. That's why, regardless of wins and losses, his message lasts forever. How about an ode to the late-night hosts? To them, I dedicate this poetic post. There's Fallon and Kimmel and a guy named Colbert. To hear them say something funny has become quite rare. (laughs) I long for Carson, Letterman, or even Conan. In different ways, each was a showman. The political correctness has run amok. That's why America no longer gives a fuck. (laughs) Late night was funny when Jerry Ford was falling downstairs. Now it's stale takes of Trump's sordid affairs. With the writers on strike, now's your chance to be funny. Please give it a shot and actually earn your money. Some thoughts on the comeback of hashtag me too. Please take your time and think these through. No doubt some bad people earned their disgrace. Weinstein, Moonves, and Russell Simmons were replaced. The leaders of the movement amassed great power, but the scales really tipped when they came from Matt Lauer. Things have been quiet, but a new reckoning is at hand. They've come for one of their own. They've come for Russell Brand. When your accusers are anonymous and the crime's 10 years old, there can be no doubt you're about to get rolled. Then there's this coach from state named Mel Tucker. God, I feel bad for that motherfucker. He's losing 95 mil. What a hex. And all of that for a little bit of phone sex. My final ode is to those who love a conspiracy theory. Of some of these tales, I've become quite weary. Boom, Jim. Of some of these tales, I've become quite weary. Epstein, Pizzagate, and the Grassy Knoll. If you believe this crap, you're an a-hole. Bigfoot, the moon landing, and Walt Disney on ice. Think for a minute. Isn't that nice? Use Occam's razor and examine the slate. You might even discover the truth about Penn State. The world is already crazy enough. We don't need any more. Conspiracy buffs. Banjos, please. <laughs> Where are you, Woody? Over dead. What? What just <laughs> No objections to that? No objections. <laughs> what? He doesn't hey, like me going after late, out great night look, hosts that are no longer you, funny. And you started out with Dion. I love yeah, And I was like, Dion. oh, this is going to be, be good okay, and nice. Wait. Until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. I'm Bayou Brandy. And I'm Mike Agavino. And for Woody Everton, we are Real Life Real Crime Daily. Peace. Peace. Piglets.